Well, I've got some good news to, for you tonight. We've been dancing all around that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Tonight, Terry, uh, Carrie, we're going to uh, talk about the dream. Amen. We're going to actually find out what is that dream. And uh, not only the dream, but also uh, the interpretation of the dream. And so I don't know if we're going to get finished with all of the interpretation of it, uh, but we will at least get uh, finished with most of it tonight. Uh, as we take a look at this, Daniel chapter uh, 2, beginning in verse 31. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 31. So, uh, just to give you a little bit of a refresher for those who uh, uh, may, may not have been able to be here, those who may be listening on uh, Facebook as well may not be quite as familiar as where we're at. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and as he had this dream, it greatly terrified him to where he wasn't able to sleep, and so he called all of the wise men from all of the land, and he got them to come in, and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. I want you to number one tell me what the interpretation or tell me what the dream itself is and don't just tell me what the dream is but then tell me what the interpretation uh, is but before you could tell me the interpretation you must tell me what the dream is and of course they said oh that's impossible nobody can do that so then he ordered that they all be killed all of the wise men be killed Daniel and his three friends went to be killed uh, they went to be get arrested to then uh, be killed. And so Daniel said, give us a minute. They went before God. They prayed. God gave Daniel uh, not only the interpretation of the dream, but also the dream. And so now Daniel is standing before Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to tell him, first of all, the dream. And then he's going to tell him the interpretation of that dream. So we come to Daniel chapter two, uh, beginning in verse 31. And the word of God says right here, as Daniel is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, telling him, first of all, what this dream is all about. He says, you, O king, were looking and behold, there was a, a, a single great statue that stood, which was large and of extraordinarily splendor and was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. So what did Nebuchadnezzar dream about? He dreamed about a statue. He dreamed about uh, a single statue, and it was a great statue. And so as we see about this single statue, we see about this great statue, this massive statue, Daniel here doesn't tell us exactly what the size of the statue was. He doesn't tell us how big the statue was, but it very clear that as we look at this, it was an extremely large statue. And so when we think about, uh, you know, large statues, you know, my first thought when I think about uh, a large statue is the Statue of Liberty, right? And, and so uh, I've never seen the Statue of Liberty in person, but I could just imagine, you know, seeing that, that for the first time, just that great massive statue. But, you know, though I haven't seen it, I've seen some very large large statues and so even though Daniel here doesn't tell us exactly how large the uh, the statue is he tells us it, it's a, a single great statue that statue which is large uh, and of extraordinarily uh, extraordinarily uh, extraordinary I'll get the right word out splendor so a great statue that is large 
Now, as Nebuchadnezzar is hearing this, first, time, first of all, when he hears the interpretation of the dream, and he hears, as we jump ahead just a little bit to, to kind of uh, get us an understanding of where Nebuchadnezzar's mindset is, he hears that he is the head, right? He's the head. And who usually is the head? The head is the one that's in charge, right? So he is the head. The head is also made out of gold. That is the most precious uh, commodity. That is the most precious metal. And so Nebuchadnezzar even tells him that he's a great, or I'm sorry, Daniel even tells him that he's a great king. And so Nebuchadnezzar totally misses this uh, interpretation, I mean, totally misses it. At first he's scared, but then he heard uh, the uh, that he's the head of gold and that he's a great king. And then basically Dad, Daniel said some other stuff, but none of that stuff matters because he's the king, he's the head of gold and he's great king, right? So it doesn't really matter all of the rest of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, what, what all the rest he said. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Instead of listening to what the dream is actually about, and God's warning to Nebuchadnezzar and all of the nations, he then immediately, it seems like, goes out and builds a statue, right? And not only does he go out and build a statue, he commands that everybody worship that statue. Now what's interesting is in, verse, in chapter 3, the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold. Now this one is all gold. There's no silver in it. There's no brass in it. There's no iron in it. This one's all gold. Because remember, he's the head and he's the gold and none of the rest of it matters. He just heard what he wanted to hear and that's it. So now he's going to run with that. And so, yeah, that's all I want to know right there. Let's just stop right there and uh, we'll go from there. So he made this great image and it was all gold and the height of which was 60 cubits, and it's with 60 cubits. And he set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So here it is. He makes this huge statue. What did he dream about? A huge statue, right? And this particular statue, the Bible tells us, uh, that his height, it, its height is 60 cubits. Now it's made out of solid gold. So this is a very, very costly statue. Now we don't measure things in cubits. What is a cubit? A cubit is from the elbow to the tip of the finger, right? From the elbow to the tip of the finger. So it's 61 cubits. Now your cubit might be larger than my cubit or your cubit might be smaller than my cubit. It all really depends upon the one who is doing the measuring. So there wasn't really a standard set of measuring, but you take the average cubit and you have uh, approximately 90 feet, right? Now let's say it was 94 feet. Now what's the significance of saying it's 94 feet? How long is a basketball court? A basketball court is 94 feet, right? So you just imagine for a minute taking a basketball court. We've got a basketball court right over there in our gymnasium. You take a basketball court. You stand that thing straight up. That's a massive statue right right there. Amen? Now, 
This is Nebuchadnezzar's interpretation of what God gave to him within this dream. So probably what man did was probably on a much smaller scale than what he saw within his dream. Now we don't know that to be a fact because Daniel doesn't tell us uh, how big that statue was. But this is what Nebuchadnezzar with his own effort, with his own with his own ability is trying to do. And he makes this statue at 61 cubits. So basically a, a basketball court. You stand it straight up. That's a massive statue, right? And he sets it out. We'll talk more about that when we get into uh, to chapter 3. But this is what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do to, you know, uh, to, to memorialize that statue of which, by the way, he wants everybody to know that he is the head and the head is gold. Now, all of a sudden, the statue, he obviously didn't follow all of God's interpretation of the dream because this whole statue was gold. Now, a 90-something foot statue that's extremely wide as well, set up and is made of solid gold, that's a lot of gold. Amen. That's a very costly, very expensive statue, which tells you how powerful Nebuchadnezzar really was, how wealthy he was, how extraordinarily powerful uh, Nebuchadnezzar was to be able to do such a thing. So we get back to chapter 2 and verse 31. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. Uh, that statue, which was large... So he uses the word great, uses the word large, and, uh, and of extraordinary, extraordinary, I don't know why I can't say the word extraordinary tonight, but uh, for some reason I can't. Extraordinary splendor was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. Now, translation that I use is New American Standard. And it uses the word awesome. If you look in the King James, it uses, it says it was terrible, right? <laughs> now, that's not saying something like what we would call today, oh, it's just terrible. It's a horrible statue. It's terrible, right? That's the way we would use the word terrible today, but no terrible as far as it's, it's uh, in the same sense of, of awesome. The ESV uses the word uh, uh, frightening, right? So you have the word uh, awesome, you have the word terrible, you have the word frightening, and so which one is it? It was such an appearance, as you begin to look at this, and you look at the original language, now you have to remember that, Nebu that uh, Daniel is now writing in Aramaic, right? He's no longer writing in Hebrew, and so as we look at this, uh, the interpretation of that into English uh, gives its own set of, uh, of problems there. But what, is, what it is giving the notion of is that it's such a, a massive statue and it's of such a form that as you look at it, it is intimidating, right? It is very, very intimidating. It will... Put fear in you. Now here is Nebuchadnezzar, very powerful king, a very influential king, a king that was a general that has been in many, many wars, right? He, he's, he's not some kid king, right? He's not some, uh, you know, kid that's wet behind the ears. He, he's been in the heat of battle, and so he is a tough guy. 
right? And so he would not be easily frightened, but he was scared to death about this dream to where even his sleep fled from him. And he saw this statue and the statue was awesome or terrible or frightening. It was an intimidating statue, right? When you begin to look at that and begin uh, to think about that. And so in verse 32, we continue to go on and and, uh, he's continuing to tell him what this dream is. In verse 32 says, the head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its breasts and its arms were of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. And so when we look at this, this is the interesting mix. You know, who would build a statue like this? It's obviously got to have some meaning behind this. This head of gold, arms and chest of silver, bronze uh, midsection, and legs that are made of iron, and feet that are made out of iron mixed with clay. Now, who in the world would ever mix iron with clay? The two obviously clash. The two obviously don't go together. But there is a meaning behind all of this. There's a purpose in all of this, right? A very clear purpose of which Daniel is about to tell him. And so as we look at this, his, his legs uh, are, are made of iron, his feet part, uh, partially of iron and partially of clay. But then, as he's, and this is, this is the statue, right? This single, great, large, intimidating uh, extremely splendorous statue that he's seeing, apparently very, very massive, probably much larger than the 90 feet, uh, st- the 90 foot statue uh, that, that Nebuchadnezzar built, uh, you know, because he's seeing this in a dream and this is something that God uh, is showing him. So this statue may stand as tall as the mountains. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. And so anything is just guesswork there. But then in the verse 34, this is probably really where Nebuchadnezzar's fear comes from, where his fright comes from. He says, you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crush them. Okay? Now, not only did it crush the iron and the clay, but in verse 35 it says, then the, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like shaft from the summer threshing floors And the wind carried them also that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. All right. So here is this picture, right? The picture is this great statue, this massive statue, right? That is a splendorous statue, it is uh, exceedingly splendorous, as, as the Bible uh, tells us right here. And it is awesome, it is terrible, it's frightening. In other words, it's intimidating, right? You can imagine how intimidating a statue like this would be. You can imagine how intimidating 
a, uh, a 94 foot statue would be, right? That would be a very intimidating statue all by itself. But now here comes this stone and it comes out of the side of a mountain and the Bible says it is cut out without hands. And as this stone comes out of this mountain, it's cut out without hands. It comes towards the statue, whether the stone is rolling or whether the stone has been thrown, right, and hewed at this kind of like, you know, uh, David and Goliath. David took that stone, he put it in his sling, and he slung it at Goliath, and it, and it killed him, right? And so whether it's rolling or whether it's been thrown at him, as we look at this, what is very clear, the statue hits the feet of, uh, the stone rather, hits the feet of the statue. And as the stone hits the feet of the statue, that's its target. Doesn't hit the head of the statue. Doesn't hit the chest of the statue or the midsection or the, or the legs. It hits the feet of the statue. And that's important for us to understand because as we look at this stone, this stone then, after it hits the feet of the statue, then the rest of the statue just begins to disintegrate. Those legs of iron begin to disintegrate. The, bra the, the, the brass, the bronze, it begins to disintegrate. The silver begins to disintegrate. The gold begins to disintegrate. And it's just blown away by the wind like shaft, and there's nothing left to it. This great, big, massive, intimidating statue, there's nothing left to it. Just disintegrates. And it's blown away like the shaft within the wind. Right? And there's no more. But what is left is this stone. And this stone then grows to be a mighty mountain. And so as we begin to look at this, it's not just an ordinary mountain either. Right? We, we don't have mountains in Mississippi, do we? No mountains in Mississippi. It, we get up to North Mississippi, get up around Meridian, you start to get in some pretty, pretty hilly country, but we don't have mountains, right? You get into Alabama, you start seeing some mountains. You get into Georgia and you start seeing some mountains. And you go into Louisiana, uh, Louisiana really doesn't have any mountains, right? It's just flat. <laughs> Everything in, over there is just flat. And in the uh, eastern side of Texas, you've got flat country. You get up in the, uh, the, the, the midsection of the country, everything's flat, right? But here's a mountain that fills the whole earth. Fills the whole earth. Now when we begin to think about that, begin to wonder about that, and we look at verse 35 and begin to think, first of all, we, we see in verse 34, we say, first of all, we understand it's cut out without hands. So some would think of a stone coming down off of another mountain and coming out, well, we'd think of like a, a boulder, right? A boulder falling off the side of a mountain. But that's not the image, that's not the picture that the Bible is giving us right here. Here is a carved stone. 
an intentionally cut out stone, right? That, that is carved, a shape that is formed, and that is not an accident like a, like a boulder just falling off of the side of a mountain. It is an intentional stone that is coming off of the side of this mountain that is carved out without hands, but the fact is it's carved out, right? It's been cut out. It has been carved out intentionally, right? All on purpose. Now, if we skip ahead of ourselves a little bit in verse 45, verse 45 says this, it says, in as much as you saw that stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Okay? So what we see, this was God doing this right god did this and as we look at this you know how does god create god creates something out of nothing right but as we look at this here's a stone that's already there and it is carved it is shaped it is molded but now it's time for that stone to come out of this mountain and as the stone comes out of this mountain it then crushes Targets the feet, which is important. We need to keep that in mind. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Targets the feet, but then disintegrates the rest of the statue. Now, as we look at verse 35, we see some characteristics about this, uh, about this uh, stone. It says... About the stone says, then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, so that as not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, again, let me jump ahead just to get some context here. What does each one of these pieces of metal represent? Each one of absolutely, they, each one of them represent a kingdom. The head of gold is obviously Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, his empire. Then we have the silver and the arms that represent a different empire. We'll talk about them in a minute. Then we have the bronze that represent a different empire. Then we have the legs that represent a totally different empire. And then we have the feet, but the feet that is iron mixed with clay, so it's different than just the iron legs. But later on we're going to see that it specifically mentions that it has ten toes. Right? Now, why would it say it specifically mentions that, that, that it has ten toes, right? So I, I, I could say, you know, I saw Brother Buddy the other day and he didn't have his shoes on. And he had ten toes. <laughs> right? We would assume that he has ten toes, right? Not everybody has ten toes, but most people have ten toes, right? 
In fact, if they don't have ten toes, that's something we would probably point out, right? He had nine toes, or he had, he had eleven toes. <laughs> you know, who, knows? who knows? But but if they're normal, and they have they have uh, uh, ten toes, and I don't mean to insult anybody that doesn't have ten toes, but that that that's the that's the norm, right? That's what most people have. Now that's important because uh, as we look at that later on. Those are ten individual nations, right? So you have four empires, and you have ten nations that are represented within this statue. Now, other than the head of gold, everything else is future. Remember what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28 and 29? He says, However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in latter days. What will take place in latter days. And he, also, and he continues to say, this was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Verse 29, he says, as for you, O king, while you were in your bed, uh, thoughts turned to you what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place so this these things other than the head of head of gold nebuchadnezzar which was present everything else was future right so then we begin to recognize something first of all when it comes to this stone this stone was obviously supernatural it's unnatural for a for a stone to be intentionally cut out of a mountain, intentionally, right? Not just, just, just rocks falling. Anybody that's driven on a mountain road, you see signs everywhere, you know, rock, beware of rocks falling, right? They're all over the place. And it happens, happens often sometimes. But this, that wasn't it. So it was supernatural. This was something that God did. Also, not only was it supernatural, it was extraordinarily powerful. Right? Extraordinarily powerful. Why was it extraordinarily powerful? Because it destroyed these ten kingdoms, which are future. The feet that were uh, clay mixed with iron, which in Daniel's time anyway was future. I personally believe it's present. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to it. The legs that were made of iron, which in Daniel's time was future. The belly of brass, which is future. The arms of silver and gold, which is future. All of these, now the ten toes were nations. The others were world empires. Extraordinarily powerful world empires empires and what does this stone do the stone destroys every single one of them where there's absolutely nothing left okay just just for instance let me, let me use this as an instance now i think i'm going to run out of time this evening so i'm going to go ahead and jump ahead of myself right the head is obviously the babylonian empire the arms of silver and the chest of silver is the Medo-Persian 
Empire. It was from Cyrus the Great that most people give him credit for creating uh, democracy in which we still live in today. So we are still benefiting from Cyrus the Great, right? So that was passed on from generation to generation. That midsection of, of bronze, that was the Greek Empire, right? Now, the legs that was made of iron were the, was the Roman Empire. What language did the Romans speak? What language did Jesus speak in his day? Aramaic. Well, they did speak Aramaic. But the common language of the day was Greek. It was the common language of the day. Most of the culture in Roman days was Greek culture, right? It, it was, that culture from the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire, it passed on down through the Roman Empire. Parts of the uh, Babylonian Empire passed down to the Medo-Persian Empire. Parts of the Medo-Persian Empire and the Babylonian Empire passed on down to the Greek Empire. Parts of the Greek of the, the uh, Babylonian Empire and the uh, Persian Empire and the Greek Empire passed down to the Roman Empire. And we're still being influenced by some of it today. Right? We're, to this very day. All of these thousands of years later, we're still being influenced by some of these things. But when this stone that is cut out of this mountain, that is cut out uh, without hands, and it comes and it disintegrates... This statue to where there's going to be nothing left to it. All influence is gone. There is absolutely no semblance of it whatsoever. It is all gone. Every bit of it is gone. So what is this stone? This stone that then became a great mountain. Was a mountain uh, symbolized in prophetic literature all throughout uh, all throughout the, uh, the the Old Testament, even used in parts of the uh, uh, the New Testament, what we call what we call Jerusalem sometimes, Mount Zion, right? And so when we think about that, what does the mountain mean prophetically? Mountain prophetically means a kingdom, right? Means a kingdom. And so is this mountain, this stone that disintegrates all of these other nations and all of these other empires. There's nothing left. And then it becomes a great empire, a great mountain rather that fills the earth. What we're going to see right here is that it is a kingdom in and of itself. But what kingdom is it? Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2 says this. Now it will, be, it will come about that in the last days. So what, what is Daniel talking about? Last day stuff, right? So it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountain. So what's going to be established? The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief mountain, and it will be raised above the hills, right? What is that? 
That is the kingdom of God. Today we're living in the kingdom of God, but we're living in the spiritual kingdom of God. Right? And there will be a day, and the Bible is extraordinarily clear about, when Jesus is going to return to this earth, what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to slay the nations with the sword that comes out of his mouth. He's going to destroy them. Right? He's going to destroy those nations. Then he's going to step foot upon this earth. He's going to step foot literally on the Mount of Olives, split it, and then he's going to establish a kingdom on this earth. And where's his kingdom on this earth going to be? Everywhere. <laughs> right? He will be absolute sovereign Lord of the of this of this earth. And so as we think about that, you know, Bible Bible makes that very clear. Also, Micah chapter four and verse one says, And it will come about in the last days, again in the last days, that the mountain, there it is again, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief mountain. Sounds a lot like Isaiah, doesn't it? And it will be erased above the hills, almost word for word about of, of what uh, Isaiah says, and the peoples will stream to it. Okay? So that, I believe, is without a doubt the kingdom of God. Going to come. Jesus is the rock. Right? Jesus is the stone. And He is going to come and obliterate every single nation of the earth. He's going to wipe them out. They're going to be ultimately wiped out when we have a new, a new uh, heaven and a new earth. And they're, they're going to be completely done away with then. And then when that new Jerusalem, that heavenly city, that place that we're going to be in forever and ever and ever, when we enter into there, there's only going to be one kingdom. Amen? Amen. And that's going to be Jesus. And so and he's going to be the king. And so when we look at this, I think very clearly that's what uh, that's what he's talking about. Now, real quickly, we'll try to talk about some of these uh, nations real quick. Uh, I know I'm not going to get into the uh, feet or uh, or the kingdom of God tonight, but I at least want to go through these nations. So, real quickly, in uh, verse um, as we see right here in. Uh, Losing my spot here. So as we see right here, first of all, in verse 36, here in verse 36, Daniel says, This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You know what Daniel just did right there? He earned the right to tell Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation. Why? Because he told him the dream. Nobody else can do that. Now, as we saw last week, Daniel even admitted, I can't even do this. <laughs> right? It's not because I'm wiser than all the rest of these. It's because God did this. God gave it to me. First of all, God gave it to Nebuchadnezzar. And then God gave it to Daniel. And then Daniel tell, is now telling Nebuchadnezzar. So, so verse 36, this was the dream. And now we will have its interpretation. So Daniel is now telling Nebuchadnezzar what each part of this uh, is going to be. In verse 37, You, O king, are the king of kings. It, it just stopped for him right there, right? You, O king, you're the king of kings. 
to whom the God of heaven has given the, the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Wherever the Son of Men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, He has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar heard three things. He said, you, O king, are the king of kings. That's the first part. Last part, you, O king, are the head of gold. That was the last part. The middle part, he also heard everywhere, wherever an animal roams or a bird flies, you're, you're king over that. He heard that. Oh, I'm just such a great, mighty, powerful, wonderful, awesome king, the best of the best. If he had a if he had a Facebook, his Facebook profile would probably be of a head of gold. <laughs> right? You, O king, are the head of gold. But what he forgot, obviously, two things he forgot. Number one, he forgot the fact that Daniel made it extraordinarily clear God's the one that's letting you be king. Right? God's the one that has given this to you. God's the one who's done it. And then he forgot something else in verse 39. After you, <laughs> that's kind of important right there, right? After you. So you're king of the present day. You're king right now. You're king at the moment. But after you, there's going to be somebody else. Every single one of us, we have an after you part, right? It's like I'm the pastor of Mill Creek Baptist Church. There were many pastors before me. Do you know what? Unless the rapture takes place, there's going to be pastors after me. I have no intentions, no plans to go in here as far as I'm concerned. I, I want to be here till till I die, right? Or until I'm not able to, to pastor anymore. That's, that's, that's my heart. I don't have the final say so over there. That's my heart. But if, if when I do die before the rapture takes place, there's going to be another pastor that comes, right? Or if I'm not able to do it anymore, then another pastor is going to come. It's just a reality, right? And so we think about that. Now, so I can't get the big head and think, this is, this is my church. Of course this isn't my church. There's many great pastors that were here before me, and it wasn't their church either. It's Jesus' church, right? Not to mention the Bible tells pastors not to lord over the congregation, <laughs> right? Because it's all of our church, every single one of our church, amen? We're all individual members that make up the body of Christ. And so we think about that. We can't get the big head and, and, and think, you know, I'm it. Now, I know some pastors that think they're it, right? They're God's gift to the world, but they're not. Jesus is God's gift to the world, and we lift his name up high. Amen? Amen. But then when we look, we don't, we don't have royalty here in the United States of America, but we have some that think they're royalty, <laughs> right? And uh, I won't chase that rabbit. Just take it as it is. But if we elect a president, um, 
Let me just say it right. Uh, right now, at best, they would uh, they, they would be a president for four years, okay? But they could be president for eight years, right? Notice how I said that. So, at best, they could be the president for four years. I'll leave that where it is. But they have a temporary job in a temporary nation, by the way, which is a temporary world, <laughs> right? And so when we think about that, God's kingdom, that's all that matters. Again, verse 39, after you, there will rise another kingdom inferior to you. Now that's interesting. Inferior to you. And then another third kingdom of bronze, which will roll over all of the earth. Okay? I think I'm going to stop right there. But let, let me, because uh, I want to talk a little bit more about, about Rome, about the legs and about the, about the feet. But what's interesting is you have a head of gold, you have arms and chest of silver, you have a uh, belly of bronze, legs of iron, feet that are made of iron mixed with clay, uh, along with the ten toes. Now, each one of these are inferior, okay? Now think about that for a minute. They're inferior. Gold is obviously, when you think about gold, it's precious metal, right? Gold today, when we look at gold, we look at gold as being the most precious metals. There's metals that are more expensive than gold, but we look at gold as being the most precious metal. If you win the Olympics and you're the number one, well, you get a gold medal, right? That, that is the pinnacle, right? And so gold today, as of today, it changes every day, but as of today, as of this morning anyway, <laughs> Might be different now. The price of an ounce of gold is nineteen hundred and seventy-one dollars and twenty-one uh, twenty-six cents. That's costly. It's the price of an ounce of gold. One ounce of gold, about that much gold, right? Silver. A price of one troy ounce of silver, as of today, twenty-three dollars. And 53 cents. So it's a lot, a lot more inferior than gold, right? You think about $1,900, basically $2,000 compared to $23, right? A lot less expensive. Then you look at bronze. It is $2.15 for a pound. <laughs> for a pound. Then we look at iron. What about iron? It is four cents for a pound. <laughs> right? And so when we think about gold, we think of it as a precious metal. Silver is a precious metal. Bronze, we make jewelry, you know, bronze jewelry and things like that. Necklaces, earrings. It, I guess you could consider that a precious metal. But what is iron? That is a utilitarian metal, right? 
You make tools out of iron. <laughs> you know, you don't make jewelry out of iron. You make tools out of iron. In fact, I believe we will look at verse 40 just real quick. I believe this is the Roman Empire. Okay, there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as it does what? Look at all the adjectives it uses right here. It crushes. Number one, shatters, shatters all things. Number two, so like iron that breaks in pieces, right? Breaks in pieces, it will crush and it will break these in pieces, right? So it's coming in like a sledgehammer, <laughs> right? Because after all, what are sledgehammers made out of? Made out of iron, right? That forged iron. Coming in very strong, very inferior to gold. So each one of these gets more and more and more inferior all the way to the point to where there's feet that is iron mixed with clay, which is basically useless. Who does that, right? This statue has no footing. It has nothing of any solid foundation to stand on. Iron mixed with clay is going to fall apart in a second, right? And we're going to see why next week. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd get at least to uh, that part uh, this evening, but anyway. So, and, and by the way, I, I will go back and talk about those other uh I'll talk about the Medo-Persian Empire, and I'll talk about the uh, the Greek Empire next week. And uh, but when Daniel sees the vision of the beasts, this is kind of a surface level uh, thing right here that we're seeing. But when he gets into talking about the beasts, uh, and which are the same things, really, it's interesting that. King Nebuchadnezzar saw the uh, future kingdoms and future empires, government, if you will. It's interesting, Nebuchadnezzar saw them as a, a statue, something glorious, something that he wanted to recreate. But when Daniel, through God's eyes, sees these same kingdoms, what does he see? He sees beasts, right? So we don't need to glorify government, right? Government's necessary today. God uses it. God's ordained it. But God's the one that we glorify. Amen. He's the one we worship. He is the one that until Jesus is absolute ultimate ruler on this earth. He's going to continue to be in control. Now, He's Lord today. Don't get me wrong. But not everybody has chosen Him as Lord. One day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Amen? But for many it's going to be too late. But He is Lord today. He just hasn't, uh, he hasn't chosen as of yet to demonstrate that or fulfill that. He will one day, and everyone's going to know it. Amen?
All right, so we're going to continue to talk about that, talk about the nations a little bit more next week, talk about Rome, and we're going to focus in on those feet, those crazy feet, iron mixed with clay. Who does that? And those ten toes, and most importantly, God's kingdom. Amen? All right, any questions or comments? All right, hope, hopefully this is coming to be a little bit clearer to you. But the amazing thing about Daniel, again, I've said it many times, but hopefully it's coming a little bit clearer. The book of Daniel is a history book that was written before most of that history took place. Amen? That's awesome, isn't it? God knows the beginning from the end. And he lets us in on some of it. Not all of it. But he does let us in on some of it. So that, that's an amazing thing as we begin to think about that. All right.